the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Today on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes. Mercy is waiting for you with every sunrise. You know, all of us, look, if, if you dig deep enough, you may find that there's a little bit of prejudice somewhere. Maybe because of the way you were raised. Maybe just out of ignorance, but that sin of prejudice, even Peter, if he were honest, would admit was there. The Gentiles just aren't quite like us Jews. He would never go into the home of a Gentile until God shows him this vision. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Galatians. God's love is bigger and stronger than any man-made barriers. Whether you feel an outright hatred in your heart towards a person or group of people, or your prejudice is subtle and almost undetectable, all of us can find at least a trace if we dig deep enough. As Pastor Gary encourages us in today's message, God can illuminate and eradicate those deep-seated barriers if we allow Him. It will not always be easy, but when you submit yourself to His love, He can overcome even the most stubborn strongholds. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Galatians, chapter 2, with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. He's saving Gentiles just like he's saving Jews because of faith in Jesus. That is the only basis. It is by grace that we are saved. This is a gracious gift from God that we can receive. So Peter says, Gentiles are getting saved just like Jews. So if that's the case, why are we imposing Jewish rites, traditions, and customs onto the Gentiles? Because they got saved just like we did by receiving the message of grace. So now Paul, back here in Galatians, go back to Galatians. Now Paul is referring back to this event, and he's saying to the churches of Galatia, we've been around this barn. And let me just tell you how it went down in Jerusalem. We met, we discussed this, we talked about circumcision. So I want you Galatians to know it is not a requirement. It's not Jesus plus circumcision. It's just Jesus. Just receive Jesus and accept what he's done for you on the cross. That's good enough. Despite the fact that Judaizers, these false teachers are coming and saying to you that it is Jesus plus, I'm telling you, Paul is, by the authority of the Lord and to let you know that this was agreed upon also by the council of Jerusalem, It's not required to be circumcised. So stop believing this nonsense. And so back here in Galatians chapter 2, 
He says in verse 6, As for those who seemed to be important, whatever they were makes no difference to me. God does not judge by external appearance. Those men added nothing to my message. On the contrary, they saw that I had been entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the Gentiles, just as Peter had been to the Jews. So Paul makes this statement here that Paul himself was predominantly called to the Gentiles, although it tells us in Scripture that he would go first to the Jews and then to the Gentile. He would go first to them, but yet his ultimate message was to the Gentiles. While Peter, on the other hand, his purpose was mainly to the Jews, although in Acts chapter 10, Peter goes to the house of Cornelius Gentiles. So they weren't exclusively only Jews or Gentiles, but predominantly, Paul's ministry was to Gentiles, Peter's ministry was to the Jews. Now, Peter is the same guy we just read about in Acts chapter 15. And just for those of you who may not know who Peter is, Peter, his name means rock. He's a Jewish believer. He's one of the original 12 apostles that Jesus hand-selected. He is a member of the Council of Jerusalem, and he is the writer of First and Second Peter, those epistles that bear his name. Peter's going to get in trouble here in this chapter of Galatians chapter 2. So I just want to point out who he is so we'll know the background before we start to see what happens here. Verse 8, for God who was at work in the ministry of Peter as an apostle to the Jews was also at work in my ministry as an apostle to the Gentiles, James, Peter, and John. Okay, those are the original, James, Peter, and John of the original group of the, the apostles. Those reputed to be pillars, pillars of the faith, pillars of the church, gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they recognized the grace given to me. They agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the Jews. All they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. So Paul ends this section here of Galatians 2 by saying, we got endorsed by Peter, James, and John. I mean, how much better can it get than that? They gave us their stamp of approval. These are some of the original, the, the 12 that Jesus selected. They were part of the Council of Jerusalem. We've covered this whole business about circumcision. I just want you to know the Judaizers are telling you lies. It isn't true. They, they've distorted the truth of the gospel. They've perverted it. Now, verse 11. When Peter came to Antioch, and Antioch is a city in Syria. So he's, Peter is moving up the coast to Syria. And Paul says, he's recalling the story. He says, when Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he was clearly in the wrong. And this is, this is bold, friends. This is bold for Paul to say to one of the original 12 that Jesus hand-selected, this guy was wrong. And he says to the, to the church in Galatia, he says in verse 12, before certain men came from James... Now, what that means is the church in Jerusalem, not that James sent them, but they came from the church of Jerusalem where James basically was the overseer. That's the half-brother of Jesus. He used to eat, Peter did, used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, meaning these Judaizers from Jerusalem, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. Okay, definition, circumcision group, we're talking about the Judaizers. So just different terms, false teachers, false brothers, circumcision group, the Judaizers, the one who were saying Jesus plus. So Paul is saying to the church of Galatia, he says, let me tell you a little story. He says, one time Peter came up to Antioch, where Paul also spent some time there with Barnabas, the book of Acts tells us, a year. Peter comes up to Antioch in Syria, and before the Judaizers get there, 
Peter's having a grand old time. He's hanging out with Gentiles. He's eating ham sandwiches, all right? He's having bacon with his eggs, all right? He's like going all out. He's like, forget the kosher stuff. We're free for Christ has set me free, and he's all enjoying it. I mean, who wouldn't? Can you imagine a life without bacon? I, I, I was somewhere in town, and this kid had on a T-shirt, and he's probably about eight years old, and on the front of his T-shirt, this is just a few weeks ago, the front of his T-shirt had said, everything is better with bacon. I love that shirt, because that is true. Everything is better with bacon. But anyway, obviously it's not kosher, so Jews aren't supposed to eat bacon. One of my first trips to Israel, I was like, where's the bacon? And then I realized, I'm in Israel, so there's no bacon in Israel. Peter's hanging out with the Gentiles, having a grand old time. Then all of a sudden, some Jews come who believe the Jesus plus stuff. And Peter pretends like he doesn't even know the Gentiles. I, I, don't, even, I don't even know those people. I I, and, he, and, he does, and he withdraws from them. And he acts all secluded now. And he shuns the Gentiles. And so Paul calls him out on this. Look what he says here, verse 13. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy... So that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. This is one of the traveling companions here with Paul that we mentioned in verse 1. So Titus still seems to be hanging in there. But even Barnabas is like, yeah, maybe we shouldn't hang out with the Gentiles. I mean, they're, they're eating ham sandwiches and pork chops. This is not good. And so they, they, they pull away. Well, verse 14, Paul says, when I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth, okay, if you have a King James Bible, it says, when I saw that they were not walking uprightly, that phrase is one word in the Greek. It's orthopedeo. It means, we get our English word orthopedic from that. It means they were not, they were not literally, orthopedeo means straight-footed. He says, he says, when I saw that they were not straight-footed, they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter in front of them all, you were a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? He's saying to Peter basically this. He says, you, you live like a Gentile. You, you, you enjoy eating a pork chop every now and again. But then these Jews come along, and now you make it sound as if the Gentiles have to be observing kosher law. He says, what are you doing? And we, verse 15, we who are Jews by birth and not, gent, quote, Gentile sinners, know that a man is not justified by observing the law but by faith in Jesus Christ. Circle the word justified. He's going to repeat it three more times. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by observing the law, because by observing the law, no one will be justified. If while we seek to be justified in Christ, it becomes evident that we ourselves are sinners, does that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. All right, let me back up and talk about what he means here. So he uses the word justified, a definition for justified. It's a legal term signifying acquittal. It's a judicial act of God whereby he declares individuals to be righteous upon their acceptance by faith of Christ's sacrifice for their sins. So here's the reason why this is so egregious to Paul because he's like, Peter, you're sending the wrong message. You know that we're justified by faith. If you start pulling away from the Gentiles because you're, you're too cool to go to school with them because they're not kosher, you're sending a wrong message. You're saying that it has to be kosher foods. You're now saying the dietary law is Jesus plus dietary law. 
He says, you, you can't do that. You can't, you're wrong to do that. You're sending the wrong message. We are justified by faith. Don't confuse people. You, you, you know what you believe. Now listen, this is why Peter should be called out. Because Peter was the one in Acts 10 who had the privilege of preaching the first evangelical message to Gentiles. And in Acts chapter 10, for those of you who remember this story, when he goes to the house of Cornelius, he would never in a million years have gone into the home of a Gentile, except that God gave him this vision to let him know it's okay. You know, all of us, look, if if you dig deep enough, you may find that there's a little bit of prejudice somewhere, maybe because of the way you were raised, maybe just out of ignorance, but that sin of prejudice... Even Peter, if he were honest, would admit was there. The Gentiles just aren't quite like us Jews. And he would never go into the home of a Gentile until God shows him this vision. The Bible says in Acts 10 that in this vision, God lowered down this sheet from heaven by the four corners of this sheet. Picture like a bed sheet just being lowered down. And in the inside of this bed sheet were all kinds of unclean animals. And the dietary law of Moses prescribed certain animals were clean to eat, certain animals were unclean to eat. Now, there's a whole other Bible study about why would God do all that. Listen, in general, this is a quick, in general, the dietary laws were trying to communicate something about purity. All of those sacra, sacra, those... Um, sacred washings and the bathings at, at, the, at the mitzvahs and, and all the dietary law, all of this was intended to point to a pure God who required holiness from his people. And up until Christ came, the only way to really demonstrate your holiness was by certain ex- external purification and certain things we didn't eat, and, and so that it would show a sign of holiness, Okay. So there were foods that were permitted and some foods that were forbidden. And God shows Peter this vision of all these animals that are unclean coming down. And then in the vision, God says to Peter, get up and eat. And Peter in response says, not I, Lord, for I've never eaten anything unclean. And God says to him, do not call that which I call clean unclean. And he was trying to help Peter understand that in regards to the dietary law, you're doing the same things in terms of people. That there are some people you think are kosher and some people you think aren't. You think some people are clean, you think some people are unclean. Do not call that which I have called clean, unclean. And it expanded Peter's understanding of how much God loves everyone, how God accepts everyone. How there is no prejudice with God and there should be no prejudice with us that Jesus died for the world, not an exclusive group of people, but for the world that all might be saved. And when Peter was stretched in his own thinking about this and got over his own prejudice against Gentiles, he goes to the house of Cornelius in Acts chapter 10. And in fact, in Acts chapter 10, he he, he made a profound statement. Let me just read it to you real quickly. To Cornelius and Cornelius' family, when he expressed to them, this is hard for me to do, but he said in Acts 10, verse 
34. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts men from every nation who fear him and do what is right. So Peter is the one who recognized for the first time among the Jews how Gentiles are also welcomed and loved by God. Okay? Now, he's also the one, remember we read it earlier, Acts 15, who stands up about this whole debate about circumcision, and Peter's the one who stands up in the Council of Jerusalem and says, you guys all know, it was through my lips that God preached the message of the gospel, and the first Gentiles God saved. Why are we heaping this yoke, this burden of the law, under the Gentiles? So this guy knows firsthand how much God has accepted the Gentiles, and that Gentiles can come to faith by can come to faith by exercising their faith in response to the message of grace. That's why Paul calls him out here. Because Peter knew better. That's why Paul calls him out here. This might seem harsh because Paul does it publicly in front of all the brothers there at Antioch, at the church of Antioch in Syria. He goes, Paul, you should have known better. Peter, you should have known better than this. You're a Jew who loves to live like a Gentile until other Jews come around you and then you act like a Jew again instead of the freedom that you enjoy living with the Gentiles. It is by faith that we are justified. Now, this word justification is an important word, and I've said this before as an easy way to remember it, just as if I'd never sinned. That's justification. The righteousness of Christ, here's a fancy $3 word the Bible uses, was imputed to us. In other words, we have no righteousness in ourselves. Jesus dies on a cross It's the great exchange. He takes our sin upon himself, our punishment upon himself, and then he places his righteousness on us. His righteousness on us. He who knew no sin became sin for us, the Bible says, so that in Christ we might become the righteousness of God. So now we stand faultless before God because of what Christ has done on our behalf. That's justification. He has now declared us righteous in his sight, because of what Christ has done. And you and I cannot improve upon this. Now, he adds here, let me just clarify, because verse 17 looks a little tricky back here in Galatians 2, verse 17. He says, if while we seek to be justified in Christ, it becomes evident that we ourselves are sinners, does that mean that Christ promotes sin? What he's doing is he's anticipating that the Judaizers are going to say, okay, you're just justified by faith. You don't have to do anything then why do you still struggle with sin? It must mean that God is the author of sin then. And so here's what Paul is basically admitting. He says, look, I'm justified because I've exercised my faith in Christ. But yes, I'm, I'm still flesh and I'm still going to fail. Try as much as I, as I would to please God, there's going to be times that I dishonor him and I sin against him. And We're going to sin in the course of our Christian life. I'm not saying we should. I'm not encouraging it. I'm just saying that as part of that struggle between spirit and flesh, there are going to be some times that you and I will sin. And Paul's saying, don't blame Jesus for that. The message of justification is not diluted because of our own sinful tendencies from time to time. We're justified because of what God has done for us. Don't look at our sin, he's saying to the Judaizers or to all who would be skeptical about how simple this message is. Don't look at our sin and disparage the truth about justification. In verse 18, he says, if I rebuild what I destroyed, I prove that I am a lawbreaker. Now, this is a little technical, but what he's saying here is, if if I go back and add the law of Moses to the message of grace, 
then I'm a lawbreaker because now I, I'm completely undoing the message of the gospel that I've just been preaching if I add anything else to the simplicity of the cross. Verse 19, for through the law I died to the law so that I might live for God. Now, how is it that the law didn't die, friends? Listen, the moral code of the law is still intact. Why do we still need to read our Old Testaments? Why are the Ten Commandments still important? Because the moral code of the law has never been done away with. Jesus said, I have not come to replace the law, but that the law through me might be fulfilled. Okay, so the standard of righteousness and morality and the things that identify the character and nature of God are still things that should motivate us to holy living. But he's saying, I died to the law. Why? Because he said, when I looked at the law and I was judged by the law and I saw my faults, my weaknesses, my sins, because that's what the law exposes, he says, it, sl- it slew me. He says, the law killed me. Because I realized when I looked at the law, I didn't measure up. So in that sense, it killed me because it exposed just how weak and sinful I am. And that's why he adds that in verse 20, and this is a beautiful verse that he ends chapter 2 with, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God. In other words, to live under the law of Moses would be setting aside the grace of God. He says, I don't do that. I do not set aside the grace of God. For if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. Everybody get this? He said, if it was just a matter of being a good person, doing all the good things, obeying the law, then then Christ died for nothing. But the fact of the matter is, the law exposes my weakness. Because every time I try to live up to the law, I can't keep it. All right? What's the speed limit out here on Sickland Road? What is it? Does anybody even really know? (laughs) I guarantee you, probably most of us broke it on the way to church. We're all lawbreakers. And in that sense, we all have offended God in some way, shape, or form. We're all lawbreakers. The law of God was intended to expose our hearts. The law was not intended to save us. Unfortunately, people in Paul's day and before him, Jesus' day, tried to use the law as a means for salvation. And friends, if you and I are honest with ourselves, we're lawbreakers all day long. We can't live up to what Scripture teaches. And God knew that. His righteous requirement of the law there are 360, there are 365 do not do commandments in the Old Testament. That's one for every day of your life. And you're going to break them from time to time. And I will too. And that's why, what do we need? We need a Savior. Because we don't measure up to the law. He's going to tell us in chapter 3, which we'll get to next week. He says that the law was intended to lead us to Christ. Because when it exposes in us our sinfulness then we just fall on our face before God and we cry out for a Savior. And that's what Jesus provides for us. Thank the Lord. Amen. I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. What a great verse for all of us to make as our statement. But please notice, I have been crucified with Christ. I didn't try to rehab the flesh. You cannot rehabilitate your flesh. I didn't try to pacify the flesh. 
I crucified the flesh. I died to my old life. I'm crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. False teaching followed the Apostle Paul wherever he went. It seemed as soon as he left the church, people professing to know the truth came in and planted seeds of doubt, twisting the gospel to fit their own agendas. This is what happened in the Galatian church and why Paul was compelled to pen his letter that you now know as the book of Galatians. Paul will continue to defend the authority God has given him and the simple message of the gospel as you continue to study this book with us. Thank you for tuning in to Cornerstone Connection today. If you'd like to listen again to Pastor Gary Hamrick's message or would like to explore more of his verse-by-verse teachings, visit our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. We encourage you to subscribe to our podcast as well, so you'll be informed as soon as we post a new edition of this program. Do you live in or near Leesburg, Virginia? If so, we invite you to come join us this Sunday for a time of worship, Bible study, and fellowship at Cornerstone Chapel. Find out more when you visit our website. Again, that's cornerstoneconnection.cc. That's all we have time for today. Join us next time to dive into the Word again right here on Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know You're not alone Real love is calling Listen, truth opens up your eyes General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.